European central banks follow the steps in, of Japan in attempting to drive inflation. Donald Trump unsurprisingly responds, and Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke wants to take away your financial autonomy. This is Worldwide Economy. I hope everyone's had a great week. Uh, I definitely have. I've brought in some changes to the show. Essentially, instead of the Nasdaq Composite Indices, I'm going to be talking about Euro Stock 600. So that's a six. Uh, it's a mix of essentially. Uh, large, mid, and small cap uh, firms within 17 European countries, just to give a bit more diversity. Anyways, let's get right into it. S&P 500 rose 0.77%, uh, Euro stocks 600 rose 1.11%, and WIG 20, the 20 biggest Polish companies, rose 3.1%. So essentially, we're, we're on top, we're winning the game, and uh, I'm very happy. Let's see if we can keep the streak going. I sometimes feel like the WIG 20, our Polish market, uh, doesn't always seem to be in any coherence with the rest of the world. I mean, sometimes the American kind of stock markets go up a lot. Poland, in Poland, we kind of take a take a few hits, but nonetheless, this week we're up three percent. I'm very, very happy. So let's just get right into the main story of this week, and that is the European Central Bank's uh, quantitative easing, or essentially further quantitative easing uh, policy. That is, in other words, expansionary, expansionary monetary policy. Sorry. So Mario Draghi, I'm not sure how to exactly pronounce his name, uh, he's the current president of the European Central Bank, he has now announced further plans of quantitative easing earlier this week. So essentially this comes in the form of an interest rate cut and increasing the money supply in the economy or in the European economies through more bond buybacks valued at around 20 billion um, euros every month for supposedly an unlimited amount of time. So until the end of eternity, uh, that's basically the amount of time <clears throat> or essentially the time period uh, throughout which the European Central Bank is going to keep buying back bonds. So essentially when the European Central Bank or any central bank for that matter buys back bonds, they pay consumers back and that increases the money supply. Because before uh, you had the European Central Bank with the money and someone else with a bond which represented debt, now it's switched around, there's more uh, money supply in the economy. Interest rate cut of 10 basis points, so that's 0.1%. It's gone down from minus 0.4% to minus 0.5%. So we're going further into negative territory. And uh, it's caused a lot of debate. It's, 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 I'll give you my opinion on this in a second. Uh, but essentially, by increasing the money supply, uh, the European Central Bank is attempting to increase liquidity in the markets. That is essentially the reason for monetary policy or uh, expansionary monetary policy. And it essentially to incentivize investments, uh, lending, a general this, this kind of general economic activity within an economy through this lower interest rate since uh, you know essentially with the interest rate it is the price for borrowing money so if I go out to borrow 100 pounds the interest rate is uh, essentially uh, let, let's say it's a two percent it's gonna have it's it's gonna be two pounds or whatever dollars that I just said that I'm gonna have to pay back on top of my initial loan but since I already said since it's already negative just how much juice can the kind of European Central Bank squeeze out of the monetary policy lemon? So essentially, some people might be wondering about what a negative interest rate actually does. What does this policy mean? Because, okay, well, if in a positive interest rate kind of uh, policy, we have to pay back more, what happens in a negative one? Do the banks pay us? What happens? That's not exactly the case. That would be uh, pretty, pretty stupid, pretty crazy. But anyways, uh, someone does have to pay back someone else. A negative interest rate policy forces financial institutions uh, to pay interest on all excess cash reserves 
above obviously the reserve amount that they're illegally required to hold. So in uh, various countries, obviously dep depending on the central bank's kind of laws, uh, each bank, a kind of commercial bank, is going to have to be uh, holding a certain amount of cash reserves in case of something happens. So that might be a certain ratio or a percentage to the money they're lending out. So let's say if you're um, lending out or, you know, out of all your cash, depending on how much you're lending out, you have to keep a proportion of that in proportion to that amount in your cash reserves. Or it might be just like, let's say, $100 million or whatever. It comes in different forms and sizes, either a ratio, percentage, or just a set amount. Um, but essentially, yeah, so uh, the financial institutions, the commercial banks, have to pay back uh, the central bank uh, amounts of money in respect to how much they're keeping in their cash reserves instead of lending it out. So what does this mean? Well, this heavily disincentivizes banks uh, holding onto cash and essentially promotes lending within the economy. So often, especially lower interest rates, uh, what happens is that banks just prefer to keep money flowing. Uh, even at a loss, if this kind of loss is less than the cost of the, you can say, penalty to the European Central Bank, so let's say if they have to pay back um, 1% <clears throat> or zero, in this case 0.4% of the, or now in this case, or 0.5% because it's obviously being cut, if the banks have to pay back 0.5% on the cash reserves that are keeping above what they have to legally keep, then they might as well just kind of lend out the money at a rate that is more beneficial. So instead of losing 0.5% to the central bank, uh, they're going to lose 0.3%, 0.1%, or just, you know, 0%, whatever it might be, whatever the bank decides um, in essentially on the other side, on uh, when they lend out money. But essentially, you know, it kind of begs the question, at what point does further quantitative easing do more harm than good? Because obviously, as we can see now, banks banks are in, a, in between a rock and a hard place, right? They, they're either going to pay the penalty to the European Central Bank for holding onto money, or they're just going to keep lending money at essentially a loss. Well, over the past few months, uh, Deutsche Bank, if you have heard, has been releasing quite negative news uh, regarding layoffs and the general decrease in business activity. And essentially, since the European Central Bank's uh, introduction of negative interest rate, which was in June 2014, I believe, the performance and returns of American versus European banks have diverged. So I've actually got a graph uh, or diagram in front of me, which is actually up on my weekly column. Uh, I released it just a few minutes ago on investingintellect.com. Uh, as, as you know, uh, might not know, worldwide economy, worldwide economy, I will never be able to pronounce this properly, comes in weekly columns as well as the kind of podcast or video version that you might see on YouTube. So essentially, if you head over to investingintellect.com, you can see the kind of graphs that I'm looking at. It essentially shows the 12-year uh, cumulative total returns of banks, uh, specifically JP Morgan versus a bunch of European banks. And whereas JP Morgan, an American bank, has uh, kept going up, its returns have been increasing because of the nice kind of interest rates in America and just in general the economic activity, European banks have been suffering. And obviously, since now we have had in, uh, not, uh, what's it called? negative interest rate, I was about to say investing intellect or whatever, negative interest rate for about five years now actually, a bit over five years, it really, really hurts the long-term return potential of these banks. I mean, it might drive them out of business because, like I said, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're either going to pay the penalty or they're going to get crappy returns when lending uh, to consumers if, you know, just if they won't even lose money at all, to be honest. Anyways, 
like I said, interest rates are the price you pay for borrowing money, but also the returns banks get for lending it. That's kind of a summary of what I've just been talking about. So essentially, when the benchmark interest rate reaches levels far below inflation, you know, when, when the interest rate is zero, at zero, or below zero, like we have in a, a European um, kind of union right now, it essentially hurts the performance of European banks. Whereas, like I said, JP Morgan's returns have been continuously breaking uh, record highs. And also, the, another kind of talking point, obviously, aside from just the banks and their returns and uh, the business activity within the bank sector, is all, comes also from a kind of more political nature in the sense of, <clears throat> in the sense of higher political and economic integration within Europe. So obviously, as we know, the European Union is a collection of various countries, much like the US is, just at a much higher, more developed level. So obviously the US is a mixture of 50 or 51 states, don't kill me, I don't remember specifically. And the European Union it has 28 members. However, <clears throat> the European Union, uh, unlike the US, is actually a lot younger, obviously when you're comparing the two. So the blanket policies that it kind of does implement, the European Central Bank, like you know the monetary policy that I was just talking about and the kind of header of the story, is that it will not affect Europe countries or European countries, sorry, uh, equally. What does this mean? Each country is going to react in a different manner. Uh, for what reasons? I'm, I'm going to explain now. So, for example, richer countries which hold larger reserves, like let's say France or Germany, uh, larger cash reserves on their banks, they will see a larger reaction uh, to this kind of policy than some poorer UE members in in the East. Uh, you know, let's say Poland, Hungary, uh, whatever. In essence, uh, it is a topic of interest due to the, like I said, kind of eco economic incoherence, incoherence, sorry, within the EU member states, uh, because essentially what happens is that France and Germany and commercial banks within that area have got more to lose because of their larger cash reserves. So when they're, you know, when you have to pay a percentage, there's more at stake at a kind of absolute term in terms of however many uh, euros that they might lose if they keep holding onto cash their large cash reserves. Whereas, you know, Poland, Ukraine, uh, more Eastern countries, their banks aren't as rich uh, in, in some cases. I mean, as rich. They, they, let's just say they don't hold as many cash reserves as the other countries. So, obviously, they might have to just lend a bit more or, you know, keep lending a bit more. Whereas French and, uh, like I said, German firms, uh, sorry, banks uh, will see a larger kind of outflow of money in, the, in the terms of more lending if that makes sense. Anyways, um, the Dutch parliament responded to Draghi's, Draghi's, don't kill me again, uh, quantitative easing policy saying that this will harm Dutch pension funds actually, since it's all about saving and investments and kind of letting this money appreciate over a certain period of time. I should make a good point about this in just a second because lower interest rates hurt saving. It, they, they hurt savings because when your money sits in your bank, it doesn't appreciate. It, um, it, it's not worth for you to keep it in the bank, essentially. Uh, moreover, German newspaper Bild has also accused Draghi of sucking dry the bank accounts of German savers through the negative interest rate. Again, because you, know, you keep your money in the bank, but it doesn't appreciate. It actually goes down in value. I mean, da down in literally nominal real terms, both. Essentially, uh, just to kind of go back on the Dutch pension funds uh, kind of point, uh, the, the reason why it hurts Dutch pension funds 
this kind of very low interest rate is that essentially imagine yourself as a saver. This is a very basic example, but it kind of proves the point. And your interest rate, let's say, is sitting at 4% right now. If your country decreases your interest rate to, let's say, 2%, you as a consumer, as just a person, as whoever's man managing money uh, and trying to make it appreciate, and obviously grow in value over the long term, you're going to have to essentially double your savings. So you're going to have to double the amount of money you're saving each month, inputting, because it's going to appreciate at half the speed uh, or, you know, whatever, at uh, half the speed at a 2% rather than 4%. So this is the reason why it hurts pension funds and people's bank accounts, because obviously <clears throat> their savings, or they're saving less, they, their savings are appreciating less. So in a sense, they will have to be saving more to reach their retirement goals, which is kind of the idea of these pension funds. And so even though lower interest rates and expansionary monetary policy from that kind of perspective aims at disincentivizing saving, it might actually end up doing something quite the opposite. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Anyways, I, th this is just an extract from my article that I wrote, my column. I think it's very interesting. I use a cool metaphor, which actually makes a lot of sense. Anyways, the diversity of European Union, in the sense of you know, economic terms, the economic diversity of European Union uh, imitates a hydro dragon. By tackling weakening inflation and cutting interest rates, 28 more problems arise. So essentially, as you know, the hydro dragon is kind of the uh, mythological creature from, I think maybe it was Greek mythology, I don't remember, where you cut off one head and two more grow back in its place. Well, due to the EU having 28 member states and, you know, you trying to tackle inflation and cutting essentially the interest rates, you're going to get 28 more problems arising because, like I said, each country is going to be reacting in a different way. As you see, Dutch pension funds, uh, German, you know, normal savers, the kind of Eastern countries. I mean, everyone's going to have a different effect in some terms, potentially even an adverse effect. <clears throat> Personally, uh, the further kind of quantitative easing seems disproportionate to current economic conditions. I mean, the monetary policy lever can't be moved down much further without breaking off the handle, uh, you know. So it kind of begs the question, what's going to happen when the recession occurs, right? Everyone's always talking about the recession. It's going to come next year. It's going to come in the next six months, in the next 24 months. But when it does come, what's going to happen? Are we going to have interest rates of negative 3%? That, that's crazy. Inflation, in my opinion, has to be tackled from a different perspective. Potentially fiscal stimulus, you know, it's been said to be the way to go, yet the European Central Bank has simply gone back to further blowing asset bubbles with low interest rates. And it's been proven in the recent rally in Eurostock 600 index, in, the, in that index. Like I said, it's gone up over 1% recently that there's been a rally in this. And why has the rally occurred? Because of cut interest rates. It's not like businesses have suddenly started doing well. I mean, maybe they will in the future. However, looking at Japan and how they try to tackle inflation for 30 years with lower interest rates, um, it doesn't seem likely. So what does it mean? It means that the value of these businesses isn't certainly going up. The price has. And the difference in the price and the value is a bubble. It's, it's essentially the false allocation of resources within our economy. The money's not going where, you know, to, to the places where it should be going. So it's a, it's a big problem. It's a really big problem. And we're, really, we're already for many years in the negative interest rate territory. So... Some people fear that when the recession does happen, I mean, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, with fiscal stimulus in that sense, a lot of fiscal stimulus is going to be required to fuel back the economy. 
that's going to grow incredible amounts of debt. And the Eurozone, the European Union, is, um, will experience, let's say, at the very least, a severe weakness, economic weakness. Anyways, let's move on. Trump's tweet of the week, 14th of September, that's the date today. So this week, essentially, we discussed the probability of 0% interest rate in the U.S., how great to see this uh, in the back of what's been happening in the European Central uh, Bank, essentially with the European Union. So to this week I picked out Trump's uh, kind of twi tweeter, tweet from his Twitter, sorry, uh, and I'll give you a quick quote from Donald Trump himself. I'm not going to try the accent, not just yet. I'm not that good at accents. The Federal Reserve should get our interest rates down to zero or less. Interest rate costs could be brought way down. Anyways, I talk about this and more, obviously, in my Trump Trump's Tweet of the Week column this week. And again, I kind of talk about the savings and how people have to kind of save double when your interest rate halves. So are you really disincentivizing savings? I don't know, man, because if someone's got a retirement goal, you know, they've got their pension, they've got whatever, they're going to try and reach it. So if they have to end up saving twice as much, well, then it's an adverse effect. Anyways... Um, you know, Japan and now the EU have become, like I said, infamous examples of how expansionary, expansionary monetary policy and lower interest rates just don't cut it when it comes to stimulating inflation. You can head over to investingintellect.com to read more about that for now. I'm just going to give you a quick uh, kind of peek at what's been happening on, obviously, a pinch of politics this week. So that's essentially another part of my worldwide economy for, uh, column. So Beto O'Rourke, he's a Democratic presidential candidate. Uh, he's been a strong advocate of taking away guns from the hands of American people. And his kind of latest strategy on doing so is to limit your financial autonomy. That's pretty funny. So I've seen him in many interviews talking about how he, there's no way he will not, as president, take away the guns from the American people. And obviously, whether you're pro or anti-gun, you have to look at it from someone else's perspective. So let's say I personally... Uh, I'm anti-gun. Um, I mean, I've lived in Poland, I've lived in the UK, I've never lived in a place where people walk around with guns or guns are legal at all. I've kind of been brought up in this area and I don't see, see the need for having guns in most cases. So essentially, uh, I have to look at it from someone else's point of view, someone who is pro-gun, someone who likes their guns, maybe obviously likes the kind of uh, the safety that comes along with it. That's also a main argument is the idea, to protect, uh, is the idea of protecting yourself. So I have to look at it from their perspective. Otherwise, it's just unfair because I would, let's say, like to ban guns, but what does it mean to someone else? Essentially, what does this mean? So O'Rourke, first I want to say what he's proposed. O'Rourke, I took it, I took the sorry out of his, uh, from his Twitter, which I looked at, which I found this week. Anyways, let's get to it. O'Rourke has proposed a move to a centralized financial system wherein the government will decide what you can and cannot spend your money on forcing companies to follow a political agenda and side of a, political, a certain political ideology. So I'm going to read from his Twitter right now. Banks and credit card companies must, one, refuse to take part in the sale of assault weapons, two, stop processing transactions for gun sales online and at gun shows without background checks, three, stop doing business with gun and ammo manufacturers who produce or sell assault weapons. What does it mean? Well, you can only use your credit card in a certain way. The company can only process certain transactions. It's essentially a centralized system. It's essentially an authoritarian uh, regime that is trying to get America into. And I'm strongly against that because even though I'm against, I'm anti-gun, let's say, I'm also against a lack or a fall in autonomy because that's essentially what it means. It's essentially, it gives 
a government the power to become essentially more centralized and tell you what you can spend your money on, tell you what you can buy, tell businesses what to produce and, or not. So that's, you know, in these kind of very controversial or polarizing issues, uh, people have to look at it very critically. What does this mean? It doesn't mean, you know, oh, he's trying to ban guns. That's good. And I say it's good because it's not happening to me. But when it comes around and now, you know, credit cards only service these these items you know that i'm interested in and now beta rock starts going at the companies that i like well then we're in a bit of a pickle but then you're the one in the first place who actually enabled it when it was happening to something that you don't agree with something that was you know kind of uh essentially something that you agreed with and you only disagree with it when it starts happening to you Anyways, <clears throat> that, that's a pinch of politics for this week. I hope you have found it, the podcast, video, article, whatever the hell you're listening to or watching right now, interesting. If you have any comments, any feedback, uh, if you want to start a dialogue with me, I'll be more than happy to answer you uh, on my email or investingintellect.com. You can find all my contact details there on my LinkedIn, whatever. But anyways, uh, thank you guys for watching, listening, and reading. I hope you have a great week ahead because I hope I will. I'll see you soon.